hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Geek Steep. My name is Marika. And my name is Kelly. How you doing, Kelly? I'm good. We're in the heart of Advent season. Or I say heart, but at the time of recording, it is day three. Yeah. It will be the heart of Advent season when this airs. Exactly. How is it going so far? Not burnt out yet. <laughs> yet. I know. I love how you're like, it's gonna happen. Happens every year. By Christmas Eve, I'm ready to sleep for three days. I be- Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot because you're not only drinking all these teas, you're covering all these teas. This is the first year I have to say that I'm going to Steepster daily to see your reviews um, for a few reasons. A, we have two advents in common. So I kind of want to see your opinion of the teas that we've been drinking. And also you're doing an advent from my parents' company that I created for you. So I'm deeply invested in your opinions of those teas for personal reasons. It's no um, pressure at all. No, <laughs> I bet. But the thing is, is that like, And I'm going to compliment you. So you're not going to feel great about this. I know. But you have a way of judging a tea without ever judging a tea, if you know what I mean. Like you really you write it from a very personal perspective. Like this is where I was. This is what I was doing. This is how this tea came to me. And then you judge its balance and its flavors and its notes. But I never feel like you're I never feel like your reviews are mean and you're not a mean person. So that's not something that like I would expect either. But I think that if I encountered a tea that I really don't like, I would not want to review it because I know that I would just be like, I don't like this. I don't want to drink it. And that's not fair because just because I don't like it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value or that it wasn't well crafted or that it wasn't well sourced. So like just for just give me a brief second, like how do you do that judgment without judgment is hard kelly definitely practice and time if you go back um and i don't recommend this for anyone but mostly for me because it's very cringy but if you go back and look at my reviews from when i was a baby tea drinker you know (laughs) real real early on kelly uh i was mean i was really mean i was very critical. I trashed a lot of teas that in hindsight, I don't think that there was anything wrong with them. I was just inexperienced. I hadn't yet mastered the skill of learning when something is just not my taste versus being poor quality. Mm. In my mind, I don't like it. It's bad. And really genuinely, that came with a lot of time and practice and reflection. And I just think you're a better person than me at the end of the day. Well, that's awesome. So yeah, heart of Advent season, having a great time. What day do you think is going to be your burnout point? Do you have like, a, you've done this enough years now. Do you think that like, oh, day 18, that's the day where I start being like, why did I do this to myself? So I am doing less Advents than last year. I did eight last year and like a weekend I was like oh shit I fucked up (laughs) so I don't think it's going to be that early this year but I have a sixth one because it's 12 days that'll kick in at the halfway point and if I had to guess I'm going to guess it's going to be a couple days after that 
<laughs> right. No, it starts off as a joy and it can end up being a kind of obligation because I mean, uh, no spoilers here, but you've given yourself a few additional challenges this year and I send you all the strength that I possibly can because yesterday, for example, you used only cups that had like gold tints to them or gold rims. And I was like, okay, I feel like that's 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 a good challenge. It's interesting. And now you're pairing the Tesaurus advent, which is the fandom advent that we're both doing together with particular songs. So you really, you thought to yourself, hey, I'm only doing five or six advents. Let me add this extra layer of challenge. Um, is this something you're working out in therapy or like you're okay? Like, do, why are you doing this to yourself? I don't know, just keeping it different. We'll see if I regret it at the end. <laughs> well, I cannot wait to contact you on Christmas Day with my traditional Merry Christmas text message and also a kind of, how you doing? <laughs> oh man, okay, so this today is our season two finale very excited to wrap it up but more excited because we have a guest we have guests again kelly i know it's been so long mostly on our part because <laughs> unexpected hiatus exactly but i mean for me i mean i've gone over before the many reasons why we started this podcast but for me one of the most important is being able to have these conversations, yes, but also kind of share these conversations with a larger community. And so it's really nice, genuinely heartwarming when a member of that community agrees to join us on this kind of batshit crazy idea that we had. Um, so without further ado, I would like to welcome to Geekscape for the very first time, Steve from the Mad Hatter Tea Review. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. Um yeah uh it's it's good to be here um long time listener first time guest <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank you for listening to the podcast and being part of the the geek steep community i have been following you on instagram i want to say two years without really knowing who you are i find that you have the same quality as Kelly, where I never feel a great amount of judgment or negative judgment, I should say, placed upon any of the teas that you're drinking, enjoying, reviewing. Um, are you in the same boat as Kelly that it's just about practice or? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually met Kelly on Steepster, one of the first people I followed on Steepster and followed me back on Steepster. And I would say I was a part of early days where, um, you know, I was maybe a little more harsh on teas. And as I've expanded my palate and expanded my uh, presence within the tea community, I, I learned that whether it's a tea bag or a loose leaf blend or a pure tea, the person that's providing that, the individuals that are providing that tea, creating the tea, putting the passion into making it and sharing it, you know, they have something to offer. And so when I, when I sit and drink a tea, like I think about what are they offering and how can I indulge in that experience with, without being too aggressive. And so I'm open-minded to all teas, you know, <clears throat> with the exception of maybe Lipton, but. Um... <laughs> wow. But, still, still throwing shade though. I like that. <laughs> I do, 
Um, because that's my, <laughs> when I do a rating scale, I know this is maybe mean, but I do say it's from Lipton to 10. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's mostly joking though, because, you know, I grew up drinking Lipton. My dad would drink Lipton. He would, you know, cold brew it or, uh, make it as a sun tea and we would drink it. And so Lipton does have like this, uh, you know, effect on me in a positive way attached to memories. Um, but do I go out of my way for it these days? No, because I, I like to try more boutique stuff. But also, if there's a small uh, local or mom and pop kind of shop, I definitely like to um, experience those. Although I would say the biggest um, company that I involve myself with is David's Tea because uh, let's be real, there's a lot of selections and um, just such as I said, a lot of passion that goes into it and you can taste it with everything. That well, is I'm, so I'm nice. especially flattered. Uh, for context, Steve, you've known me like pre-David's Tea days. Like you knew me before <laughs> I was a David's Tea employee. But I especially feel the love because now not only do I have like the practice of differentiating my tastes, et cetera, that we've talked about, for like listeners who may not know, um, I work in R and D for David's Tea now, so it, it means a lot hearing that, and now being on the other side of the curtain to being the one you know putting that intention into the blend. So I appreciate that a lot. I have so much to say about all the things you just said, so I'm going to try to sum it up. But you know me, Kelly, and I'm sure you know me, Steve, just from hearing me all the time. I have a lot to say, but I think I want to touch on a few points that you brought up first that the more you drink the more your palate expands and it kind of speaks to a kind of general feeling I have about life that the more you expose yourself and the more you educate yourself the less quick you are to just pronounce judgment without reflection and I just think that tea is one of those one of many universes that is really really um, helpful in developing that skill. You know, if you've had a few thousand cups of tea, you're like, well, I can't just pass judgment on this tea just like that. There, there are people behind this. There are people working with intention to create it. Um, I, I always say to myself, no one wants to just make a shitty cup of tea, like even Lipton, especially Lipton, actually, they have a lot to lose you know, if they make a bad cup of tea. No one's like, you know what, I'm just going to sell shit and see what happens. So it's 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 really nice to hear that you're like taking that person uh, into consideration when you're doing those kinds of reviews, because there are people behind these things and we can't just throw them under the bus just because like we don't get it or our palate isn't there yet, or that we personally just don't like it. You know, I, I really like that. So on that note, <laughs> what's in your cup? Uh, today I am drinking out of a star Wars cup, as you can see here I had to, you know, match with the fandom. I'm wearing a star Wars shirt. Um, before I get to the cup, I have Jin Erso here. So, you know, <laughs> um, but I am drinking, uh, Bitter Leaves Alter Ego. I chose this, uh, particular one because it has a cat dressed in Leia buns. So naturally you have to, well, for me anyway, I have to match the fandom with the fandom. So I'm drinking this, uh, it's a nice, it's a nice pour, you know, it's, it's still fairly fresh and young. Um, so if you overbrew it, it'll get that bitterness, 
but I like that bitterness. So I always push my younger teas as kind of like an apricot, you know, that apricot juicy, uh, fruity taste that young poor typically has. Mm-hmm. That sounds so good. That is a most excellent choice. You are so on theme for this. I, I love it. I love the enthusiasm and I love the thought that like went into the choice. Um, I'm going to ask you before I get to Kelly's cup, I'm going to ask you the question that I hate when people ask me uh, favorite tea base. Favorite tea base. If we're talking straight Shung Poer or Raw Poer, mm-hmm. um, talking blends uh typically in oolong or white tea or black tea i mean i i'm very open-minded but those are my top three blends because i'm a huge fan of earl gray like i almost came onto the uh uh podcast today with an earl gray with a crazy backstory why i was drinking earl gray and then i was like you know what i'm sticking to the theme today. i'm gonna drink a pour um but uh yeah so i would say mostly black tea white tea or oolongs. Very cool. If you had brought an Earl Grey, which is to me the Star Trek tea to a Star Wars episode, I would have had so many questions. <laughs> that was going to be my backstory. That's why I was like, well, Captain Picard, he drinks Earl Grey. So obviously that's readily available in space. So why not? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well chosen. Miss Miller, what are you drinking? I didn't pay attention to the theme at all. <laughs> so at least one of the three of us for sure did. Um, as, as we mentioned, we're in the heart of Advent season. So I took this as an opportunity to drink something that's not an Advent tea that I've been craving for like a week. Um, because I don't know if I'll get to sneak it in otherwise. And that's hair <laughs> tart tetin, uh, which is a rooibos powder uh blend from burden blend lovely and this was just just what i i wanted because i don't get to necessarily pick my teas during advent season so when i have the chance to steep something i've been craving i'm gonna take it excellent excellent well i have decided season finale probably a longer conversation i'm gonna need two mugs today because it has happened kelly and you are well aware that we'll go through an episode of geeks deep and halfway through my mug is empty (laughs) and uh so i chose two of the teas that are in advents today um i chose adagio's cranberry nut muffin green and tesaurus's not quite turkish delight And I've been sipping on them one after the other, and they oddly complement each other in a really strange way, the way that I didn't expect. Um, So cranberry nut muffin green, I taste the cranberry, I taste the nut. I feel the word muffin was thrown in there. Um, But I enjoy a muffin tea on a green tea base. I don't see that a lot. I'm sure it's out there, but I usually see like muffin teas as herbals or blacks. So it's kind of nice to have that like little green element to it. And not quite Turkish delight may be the most accurately named tea I've come across in a while. Ooh, that's exciting. I had my adagio tea earlier this morning because these are the two advents we're both doing. Uh, haven't done my tesaurus tea yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. 
Okay, so I'm not going to spoil it for you. Um, but I was concerned about the tea base because it's on a white. We know that I don't like the whites. Um, and the whole ingredients were confusing to me. It had like hibiscus and beetroot. And I was like, what is this? Um, very drinkable cup. That's what I'll say. Very, very pleasant mug I have in front of myself uh, right now. So highly recommend. Okay, shall we get into what our, we're discussing today? Rogue One. Rogue One. We are re-entering the Star Wars universe, which is a universe that, much like the MCU or much like anything these days, is just every five minutes there's a new Star Wars show, short, uh, miniseries, movie. It's it's not quite like the MCU where it's feeling a little overwhelming now to, to keep up, um, but... It, they are really pumping them out there. And so we've covered Star Wars before in season one with the Mandalorian. So if you want a background on Star Wars, if you need a background on Star Wars, you can listen to that episode. But I have a lot, a lot of questions about today's fandom. Rogue One probably opens up the most amount of questions for me. So I'm going to go and start the what the geek and then hopefully both of you will be able to help me answer some questions rogue one a star wars story or simply rogue one is a 2016 american epic space opera filmed and directed by gareth edwards the screenplay by chris weitz and tony gilroy it was produced by lucasfilm and distributed by disney it is the first installment of the Star Wars anthology series and the immediate prequel to Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. The main cast consists of Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Ben Mendelsohn, Donnie Yen, Maz Mikkelsen, Alan Tudyk, Riz Ahmed, Jiang Wen, and Forrest Whitaker. Set a week before A New Hope, the plot follows a group of rebels who band together to steal plans of the Death Star, the ultimate weapon of the Galactic Empire. The film also details the Rebel Alliance's first effective victory against the Empire, first referenced in Episode 4's opening crawl. The film was made to be different in tone and style from the traditional Star Wars films, omitting the customary opening crawl and transitional screen wipes. With an estimated production budget of at least $220 million, it is one of the most expensive films ever made. The film received positive reviews from critics with praise for its acting, stories, musical score, and dark tone, but criticism for its pacing, characters, and digital recreations of Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher. It grossed over $1 billion worldwide, making it the 20th highest grossing film of all time and the second highest grossing film of 2016 during its theatrical run. It received two Academy Award nominations for Best Sound Mixing and Best Visual Effects. Andor, a spin-off television series starring Luna, is set to debut in 2022. And I believe it just ended, correct? Correct. Yes. Yes, I, my husband is very excited. I'm going to have to get on that next. All right. So just a plot summary. Research scientist Galen Urso and his family are in hiding on the planet Lamu when Imperial weapons developer Orson Krennic arrives to press him into completing the Death Star, a space station-based superweapon capable of destroying entire planets. Galen's wife, Lyra, 
is killed in the confrontation while their daughter Jin escapes and is rescued by rebel extremist Saw Guerrera. Fifteen years later, cargo pilot Bodhi Rook defects from the Empire, taking a holographic message reported by Galen to Guerrera on the desert moon Jeddah. Rebel Alliance intelligence officer Cassian Andor learns of Rook's defection and the Death Star from an informant. Jin is freed from an imperial labor camp at Wobani and is brought to the rebel leader Mon Mothma, who convinces her to find and rescue Galen so the Alliance can learn more about the Death Star. Cassian is covertly ordered to kill Galen rather than extract him. So, Steve, let's start with you. I don't know if you want to talk about your first impression of the geek in Star Wars in general or just Rogue One. I will let you choose. Guest's choice. I will start with my early years with Star Wars, I suppose. Um, So I grew up watching Star Wars. You know, my dad is a huge sci-fi fantasy guru, and he loved Star Wars. We Like, if I was, like, my earliest memory, one of my earliest memories is watching Star Wars. Like, my dad sitting us down saying, we're going to watch all three of these movies. And, um, you know, so I I grew up watching Star Wars. I grew up knowing Star Wars. I, I grew up with tons of Star Wars toys. I mean, I'm sitting here with my original C-3PO from 1995. So, you know, <laughs> I love the, 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 the whole series of Star Wars. Um, the original, you know, there's there's nothing like the classics, but I especially remember like growing up with the prequels as well. You know, some like seven years old, we're going to the theater, we're watching Clone Wars. Um, you know, I played all the video games. My dad was also a big gamer. So in 95, I believe, uh, there was this um, video game called Star Wars Dark Forces. And my dad had it on PC which is actually surprisingly about um, how the Death Star plans were taken. And it's about this character who is uh, undercover and he basically gets found out. So he's like your whole, the whole time, the whole story, the game is you killing a bunch of stormtroopers on a uh, star destroyer. So I have always been involved in star Wars. So naturally when something new comes out, um, I'm always the first one. Well, maybe maybe people like me, I should say. Um, and one of the few that see it first. Um, but yeah, so yeah, when, when this uh, the, when this film came out, I, I saw it the first day, but that um, it, it was sold out, so I was willing to sit in the front row and break my neck watching it. But it was such a magical experience just having... You know, something that's not like your typical following Leia, Han, Luke story. Um, So that was what I found most interesting about it. Very cool. Very, very cool. Kelly, how about you? I mean, we I know how you Star Wars came into your life. Rogue One specifically. But similar to Steve, I watched it in theaters on its premiere date. Um, Thankfully, I was not in the first row, but I definitely didn't have a great seat. It was a packed theater, and I don't know. I I didn't really know a ton about it going in. I knew, like, loosely that this was a prequel, um, but I had really set my expectations, not low, but, like, just blank. You know, I wanted to go in and just 
accept whatever they were going to deliver to me. And I was wowed. I feel like for like two weeks after this movie came out, it was my personality. (laughs) I watched it three times in total in theaters. I don't go to the theaters nearly as much as I used to then, but even back then, like that was uh, a lot of repeat viewings for me. I definitely see that. Absolutely. I remember going on opening weekend uh, because (laughs) at the time my eldest was just turning one. And so it was kind of one of the first movies that I saw as a new mom, because obviously I, I used to go to the movies like once a week. I used to see like 52 movies a year. The movie theater is my happy place. And I think that year I'd only seen like maybe two or three movies in theater, you know, cause you got to get like in-laws to babysit, you got to organize a whole thing. And I was really unsure that I should pick this movie because I had so few choices. Like, it, like I said, it's so hard to organize. You're like, is this the movie where I organize the whole thing? And I, this is where I'm going to spend what limited free time I have. And I thought, okay, it's Star Wars, right? It's Star Wars. I feel like I I owe it to Star Wars to see what they're trying here. And kind of like you, Kelly, I came out and I was just like, oh my God, this, is this the best Star Wars? It was very jarring because you go in, at least for me, you go in with, from my, from my personal opinion, obviously Empire Strikes Back is the magnus opus of the Star Wars franchise. And nothing will ever be as good as Empire Strikes Back. At this point, this movie is trying to beat out Return of the Jedi, Phantom Menace. You know, you go in with like lower expectations because we're not going to see any of the beloved characters. This is a prequel. And also, to your point, Steve, about the Dark Forces game, which I never, I, I didn't play but I find the Star Wars universe has done this more than once where like in the in-between years of like the original three and like the prequels, there was an immense amount of material put out into the world canonically um, that expounded on, you know, what happened after Return of the Jedi, what happened before New Hope. I was one of those people who read the Star Wars books, not as much as like the Star Trek books, but I read at least you know 20 or 30 of the star wars books and i was really concerned about how are they going to erase what we've believed to be canon for like 20 years right because you're saying in this game it was a a male spy and that you had to get off a star destroyer right Uh, right so yeah it was your um the task was, you know, you begin this game kind of like every other Star Wars. You have the, you know, and, and you have all the, this is the story, this is the plot. And then it like cuts into you just standing in a Star Destroyer, you know. And back in the day, those graphics were awesome and they're terrible. But as a kid, you know, it's like this magical thing because you're like, I'm, it, you know, first, my first first person shooter game. And so, like, you're just walking there, and then they're like, wait a second, you're not a, you know, you're not Stormtrooper number. And, and then it just becomes this whole epic battle where you're trying to find the Death Star plans and going through, like, these rooms. And it's sort of like that old maze game 
it's a very vivid memory, but I think it's like a va- maze game or, and or a screensaver that used to be on the computers. And so like you're going through this maze trying to find the room where the Death Star plans are just casually laying out on a table and you have to fight your way out after grabbing them. Like it's just your average day and not, not a big deal. Right. And then, you know, they built a whole story that is Rogue One um, that maybe complements this video game, but could certainly erase a lot of those components. So I'm always really mistrustful of the new Star Warses because I'm like, hey, I read these books. I the, this was this was fact and truth to me for 20 years. So if you're going to erase that, it better be worth it, y'all. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, and they've retconned so much. We had so a coworker uh, a couple years ago, Brady, who worked in IT, and he is probably the biggest Star Wars fan that I've ever met. I maybe said that uh, last season. And I remember <laughs> that he was livid at the rewrites for the the sequels, uh, sequel trilogy. All of the retconning, he was so fucking pissed. Yeah, and and we had lived through that with you know I'm we're not going to talk about the the three sequels uh, in this because you know we're trying to keep this podcast short <laughs> we don't want it to turn into a three hour affair um, but yeah that was my sentiment going in where it's like how much how much are you going to destroy in the favor of action uh in the favor of special effects in the favor of like wowing me with your absolute technology and when i came out of rogue one i was like holy shit they actually focused on creating an intimate intriguing nuanced character driven story and yeah, I, I came out thinking this is the best Star Wars. And that was really, that that says a lot. That's, you're going up against nostalgia. You're going up against having seen and loved these stories for so, so long. And in two hours, just going like, no, we're the best Star Wars. So I'm going to open with that. I, I think it's the best Star Wars. I do. I am going to admit, this was the first Star Wars film that actually made me openly cry. Yes. And and I went with other friends and I'm like, we're all just looking at each other like, did we really, are we really crying together? Is this a moment we're having? You know? And then, like, I remember that day I walked out of the, the, the theater and someone just said, oh my God, Carrie Fisher is dead. And I, yes. oh my God, no, it can't be. I just saw her on screen. Now, that brings me to the point where you mentioned a lot of the the critical feedback, the negative feedback was Carrie Fisher and um, Peter Cushing. They're both like they're in CGI form, but I think they did it really well, you know, for CGI as like modern day CGI, because I feel like when I watch some CGI of people, especially, it feels like a video game to me. But personally, I think they did really well. So my brain, just watching this, and I also had a bad view, so maybe Carrie Fisher and Peter Cushing looked better at front row. But <laughs> I remember like being in complete shock because I was like, that's impossible. I just watched her on a screen, even though they've recorded this film probably like last year. So 
Um, but yeah, no, it, it was a very emotional film. I remember literally crying when I first saw it and it was so good that I had to share it with everybody else and anticipate them crying at the end of the film. <laughs> I have to agree on a couple points. One, I also don't think the CGI was that bad for the time it was released and given that they had to recreate you know, a very old style and very young actors, I think it would have looked way more fucked up if they had tried to like find body doubles or anything like that and it with um you know those weird like people flush masks <laughs> i i thought the cgi was definitely acceptable but two i think it's an incredible testament and this is why rogue one is also my favorite star wars movie they got all of us to care and feel that deeply invested and openly cry in theaters with a set of characters we didn't know jack shit about up until literally two hours ago. They were all fresh characters, no uh, reliance on us, you know, knowing the original uh, cast, the prequel cast, no... You know, oh, this is some long lost relative of X. We didn't know everyone's backstories. They didn't have time to give us everyone's backstories. And they still made us care so deeply, so deeply about all of them by the end of the film. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think we're going to spend the next hour just like agreeing with each other. <laughs> there are not a lot of bad elements in this movie and i think you know peter cushing and carrie fisher look they weren't on the screen that long and they didn't push these cgi i'm going to call them cgi characters even though like clearly someone played them but they didn't give these cgi characters the depth of character development that they gave the real life actors or even the the android in the movie um which i think helped with me viewing them as like placeholders like they have to be there like they have to be a part of this because it just wouldn't make sense if we don't see the final handoff of the plans spoiler alert to Carrie Fisher in the end that like it puts the the bow on it you know it gives you a sense of satisfaction because or else the movie would end on such a crushing sense of loss that all of these people that went through this incredible ordeal die um, that's when I started crying, like when they're on the beach at the end, I just, I just, I lost it. I just broke down. And if they kind of ended it with that, it would have been like, well, that was, that was a downer. You know, even, even the Empire Strikes Back ends with like a note of hope. So Star Wars always is kind of about hope. And they ended it with that. And the fact that it was CGI Carrie Fisher for like three seconds, honestly, I'm going to give it a pass as well. It wasn't, it, it didn't destroy the strength of the movie at all for me um there are other things though that <laughs> that i do want to unpack so i guess should we go through like favorite parts and questionable parts sure okay so i think if i had to pick one thing out of this incredibly beautiful moving movie that really is my favorite element i'm i'm gonna say it's donnie yen's character it's donnie yen's character and his relationship with the other character whose name i'm blanking on baze malbus 
base malbis that relationship okay let's just start with the fact that i love donnie yen and up until this movie had only seen him in chinese kung fu movies i he's ip mom famously i think they're on like ip mom 6 by now or something but like donnie yen is a absolute movie star in china and i you know grew up watching his movies and obviously when i was living in china like donnie yen donnie yen donnie yen and when he i didn't know he was in the movie and so when he came on the screen in the theater my husband and i both went oh my god it's donnie yen and then he started speaking english and it was like wait donnie yen wait donnie yen speaks english and it was like he's going to take over the world he's perfect <laughs> and amazing in every way <laughs> like it was just such a relief and then to have the character be you know a blind monk who believed in the force didn't have a lightsaber it showed a different side to the force that i really really appreciated a non jedi side to the force where it's not black and white it's not necessarily good versus evil it's really connecting with the force and being one with the force and using it to do good in the world and his closest friend is someone who um just uses a lot of guns and they're besties and i i i i go back to that line in um attack of the clones when obi-wan finally does use a blaster to take out someone and he goes oh so uncivilized you know and it's a kind of rejection of that whole like oh guns are terrible but you know slicing people up into four pieces is totally fine and it's like i'm like i'm not totally on board with that logic and so to see it played out in rogue one i was like yeah address that there is a balance in the world and there's a balance in the universe and it's just this really intimate beautiful friendship between two men that is um not just about like fighting and like being alphas it's a genuine deep respectful relationship between the two opposing ways of looking at the world and yeah that's that is my highlight of the movie is that is Donnie Yen and that relationship I have to say when I first saw this movie I was a teenager um doing the thing we're always doing where I'm dating myself in the way that Marika doesn't like <laughs> uh I absolutely read their relationship during my first watch as romantic mm. and I don't know if I'm alone in that but and and maybe it was because I was a closeted repressed asexual teenager but I deeply read it as very like asexuality uh life partner deeply intimate romance am i alone in that i can see it i totally see your reading in that kelly because there is deep love in that relationship deep commitment i mean they don't go anywhere without the other they look out for each other there's a deep 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 love and i liked how they were able to portray that without necessarily making it sexual now it could have been sexual and that would have been hunky dory and just fine but i feel like there is a kind of like well if you're if you're a guy then you're like a guy's guy and just kind of grunt at each other and if you're not then you are a homosexual man in another relationship with a homosexual man and those are like the two paths that those you know like showing that kind of male friendship as being deeply emotional deeply committed 
incredibly loving without it necessarily being sexual is also a relationship that many men have. Steven, I leave it to you. Yeah, it's it's definitely more than a bromance. Mm -hmm. uh, it's if you look into any sort of love language and you're with a partner for a significant amount of time, you don't have to verbally communicate with each other to know what the other's thinking or what the other person needs. And this relationship on screen is that. It's, you know, um, you know, Donnie Yen is going in there kicking ass with a stick and he's maybe overconfident at times, but he needs, you know, Bayes as like the, the, the protection. And, and I feel like there's always that in a relationship. There's one that's maybe more not protective of, you know, a person like getting loose or whatever. I, I don't know how to explain it, but they're more like the one involved, like I'll admit my wife is more protective of me because I might be a little younger and she has more experience of the world. Um, whereas I might go out there and do something stupid, like blindly kick ass while I'm with a stick while I'm unable to see my foe, but trusting in the world to protect me and trusting in my own actions to protect me. And as I, and, and so like, you definitely see this relationship play out. Um, in the film and as as I said before it's not a bromance and it's not men grunting at each other it's two men knowing each other without speaking um, to the other necessarily and it's that sort of love language that any relationship once you're involved with somebody long enough just naturally forms yeah no it's 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 my favorite part can I talk about my second favorite part and then I will cede the floor I promise incredibly diverse cast Really nice to see an incredibly diverse cast, you know, uh, from the Donnie Yen to Forrest Whitaker to Diego Luna. Um, that was really refreshing because in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago, I uh, can't just have been Caucasian. So that was, you know, that was for a while, we only had Billy D. Williams holding down the fort, right? So it was really nice to see a little bit more of that. But also to see, uh, have you guys ever seen the Family Guy representations of Star Wars? Yeah. So you, it's a really interesting, they, they reenact the first three Star Wars, not scene for scene because it's like a 40 minute episode, but they put the Family Guy characters as Star Wars characters. And Lois plays Leia and they did... Uh, a new hope it was a huge success they did empire is a huge success and they get to return of the jedi and there's this joke that i don't like that i find funny but just really resonated with me when i saw it which was they get to this recreation of the scene where mon mothma tells them about the building of the second death star and how many bothans died to bring us this information which is a really iconic line and in the Family Guy interpretation, Lois playing Leia says, oh, it's the other woman in the galaxy. I don't like her. And it's like a horrible joke that shouldn't make you laugh, but it really did make me think when I saw it. I was like, wait, is it really just Princess Leia and Mon Mothma who has four lines in this whole movie? It, it, it really highlighted it for me. So... All that to say, really happy to see Jin Erso and Mon Mothma carrying this movie in a really phenomenal way. So that was my second favorite part of this movie was just 
again, I, I guess this whole movie for me is like representation matters. It matters. You have to see yourself up on the screen. You have to see other people up on the screen. And they didn't show the entire rainbow that is the human ex- like experience. But it was the first time I saw Star Wars even attempting to do it. So highlight, highlight. Yeah, I mean, Jen Erso is, I mean, her story, her, you know, from start to finish is this beautiful thing because you have this young girl who watches her mom get murdered without any explanation, who's hidden in the dark her whole life, but is seeking revenge her entire life and kind of has a little bit of hope, but lost hope that she'll never be able to connect to her father again. But she still respects her father, even when she finds out what he's doing. But then when she meets, um, you know, Saw and sees the the video transaction with her dad, it gives her hope again. Like, oh, my dad is a good guy. He's not an asshole that, you know, everybody says he is. And he's trying to destroy worlds. He, he cre- He's created a plot to dis- like to destroy the Death Star. Thank God my dad's not a space Nazi. <laughs> yes exactly and so you get this beautiful like hope that she has and so it gives her more drive to get the death star plans to save her father and and she she finally has the chance to say dad you're not a space nazi and he dies and she doesn't even have time to like reconcile because he's dead when she gets to him and that's like oh that's like the first heartstring that's pulled in the film you're like oh god there was hope that she can reconcile with her father and then it progresses forward that makes her, you know, more driven to get the Death Star plans. And then she does. And it's the very, it's like the most intense scene, like 30 minutes. And then she gets it. You're like, yes. And then the world blows up. All hope is gone. Even though, you know, like they beam the Death Star plans to some mysterious location. Half the Rebel Alliance is getting destroyed while the world is blowing up and then you get to the final scene where death you know uh we come into the new hope and you see darth vader for the first well i said second time in this film but he's more scary than the first time you meet him and he's slaughtering half the rebel alliance on this ship you're like well shit this is going to hell again and then you see leia and you're like oh, oh thank god you're like Oof. But it, it's it's the I, I guess there's really no favorite part of the film. It's just I love Jen Jen Erso's story. That's that's my favorite part of the film from beginning to end. And then you know the final ending. You know I, I like the the theme. Like there's a lot of chaos and destruction, and never really a lot of positive things happen. But there's always hope amongst that chaos, even in real life, you know, like just with anything, really, like when you lose hope because everything's hitting the fan, you know, something good might happen in the end. But at what cost? At what at what price, I should say? Absolutely. So- and I just I, I want to just touch on a really quick point before I go to Kelly's highlight, because Darth Vader is you're right. Second entrance is kind of like hope because his first entrance at the midway point of the movie i don't know about you guys i didn't need that i didn't need that entire interaction i was just like i'm darth vader he was like a little bit more 
impulsive than we'd ever seen him before. It felt like um, fan service that I didn't need. And I was like, oh, are you are you pulling a Force Awakens on me here where you're just throwing stuff at me because you know I'm going to be happy to see them, but it doesn't actually need to be in the movie. I was a little disappointed. And then hope sprang true again when he enters at the end of the movie and that lightsaber goes red. That is probably the pivotal scene that made me truly see how evil Vader is. Because even as a kid, I mean, I was born in 82. So seeing the first, you know, the original Star Wars, it was already a very old movie. I had, I had accepted intellectually that Vader was a badass and was a bad person, but it was never really put on display in a way that, you know, as a child or as a teenager, I felt that he was really that bad, right? And with that scene in Rogue One, where it's all dark and his lightsaber glows almost out of nowhere. He appears as this threat and he is a deadly threat. Whew, what a payoff. And it's not a scene filled with hope, but in terms of like the actual story, but it's a scene filled with hope of just like, we're going to see some really cool shit over the next few years. <laughs> Absolutely a level of brutality that Vader had not been portrayed with. And I think was crucial for his characterization. It's so good. It's so good. Just if, if, if listeners, if you don't watch Rogue One, which you absolutely should, just YouTube that one entrance. It's epic. It's executed beautifully. All right, Kelly. Highlights. Honestly, I feel like some of my biggest ones we've actually already touched on. Um, but other than the ones that we've touched on, I think some of the ones that for me just really, really hit are K2SO, the droid, Alan Tudyk's character. Always loved droids in any Star Wars uh, media at all, whatever it is. I think the way that they portray the personality of droids is fantastic. From R2-D2, C-3PO, even BB-8, which I know is not everyone's favorite <laughs> droid, is adorable. And they pack so much personality in there. But K2SO might be my favorite. Probably because Alan Tudyk is my favorite. That's what I was going to say. Because we have a well-documented history of your love for Alan Tudyk. And a love that is I am 100% on board with. I mean we work with our voices all the time, Kelly, like on this podcast or, you know, other places. So I do think I'm like, we're nowhere near being experts. Let's be clear, but like good intonation, good delivery, good voices, something that I pay attention to personally a lot. And Alan Tudyk's ability to create humanity through his voice while playing a robot, which he did an iRobot like as well. Like he, he is, the only person that can do this, apparently, him and Tilda Swinton, like the only people who can actually do it. It is an absolute um, highlight. I hated the droids before, honestly. He was the first droid. I, the droids before just annoyed me. Uh, C3P, I'll say it. C3PO is whiny. He's whiny. I know. I know I'm in the minority here. It's like my issue with Samwise Gamgee. It's the same thing where I'm just like, I cannot handle you. I know people love you. I cannot do it. But yeah, I agree. Complete, complete highlight. His relationship with Andor is beautiful. 
he's another tearjerker moment. Like, is there so many tearjerker moments in this movie? I think if not Alan Tudyk and K2SO, I just have to say the general satisfaction of closing plot holes. That probably says a lot about me as a person. So does. (laughs) But the fact that that plot hole existed in the original movies and went that long unaddressed canonically in film, video game aside, because apparently we're retconning everything. It's just, it was so satisfying that they found such a beautiful and logical way to resolve it. Very satisfying way to, you know, plug in those holes, give us a bit of fan service, give us things that we'd never seen before. I thought I would really miss the the swipe right PowerPoint editing of the original Star Wars. I didn't even notice until about halfway through. It's like they made it its own thing while touching on stories that we kind of knew peripherally. It's it's a it's a kind of masterclass on how to do a prequel correctly honestly it really is and it stands alone by itself as well it's not kid friendly i'm just gonna put that out there is this my kids walked in watching it and they were like what is going on what is the world and i was like okay okay (laughs) like and or like straight up murder someone in the first like three minutes and you're like okay there's that okay i don't have a lot of points that are truly negative But I have to ask, and everybody's free to have their own feelings about this, because I don't know what my own feelings are. Forrest Whitaker as Saw Gerrera, good or bad? Well, we'll put it this way. He didn't make anyone's highlights. (laughs) True. Okay. Steve? I like the concept of it, but I feel like they're like, well, we need to great actor to fill a hole for a plot because we need to keep the plot moving so let's get a great actor like Forrest Whitaker yeah let's put him up to this basic breathing machine the whole time have him talk quietly and not really tell you who he is and not really carry the story all that much other than he has a transaction to Jenner so from her father that's it (laughs) so like you know he's a badass on the criminal underworld but you don't know what the criminal underworld is you know there's in the star wars world there's like smugglers there are you know assassins and you know but who is saw so i hate i hate that there's that gap there and so i don't really like i like forrest whitaker as an actor but i don't like the character that he plays or really why that character matters at all in this in this I mean, I'm really inclined to agree. I feel like I want to like him so badly. But the the voice modulator that they use is so grating to me. <laughs> and and similar to Steve, yeah, it's it's a necessary plot, but it's a necessary plot that opens its own holes. And that is not satisfying. Yeah, I think I... I, I... I think I'm on board with you guys for everything because you see Forrest Whitaker and you're like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. Um, and you see his outfit, the costume design on his outfit is glorious. The the wig, the everything is just really, really well done. And he is the type of actor that 
you know, kind of like Alec Guinness in the original trilogy that without a lot of opportunities to expound on like the entire history of the character, he's able to, in a few words and a few ways to um, demonstrate gravitas, show you like he's seen some shit like you, you know Alec Guinness is very classy but like you know when you meet Obi-Wan that like he has seen some shit right um and so I got really excited but then I kept getting like really I couldn't figure out when he needed to breathe oxygen and I think <laughs> that if that's the first question that pops into your mind while someone is acting um that was a bad choice right because I kept going like so do you need it after a long sentence or do you need it when you're frustrated or is this just kind of a is this not linked to anything and you just need to suck on oxygen right now and and so I I I don't know exactly what the problem was because my brain just got really caught up with so I understand how Vader's mask works I don't I don't understand yours like at all so he wasn't terrible but he ans he he raises more questions than he answers shall we shall we say okay next and last point for me which is a really tough one to tackle Star Wars is an American franchise created by an American that talks about the glorification of rebellion <laughs> with terrorism elements thoughts i don't have a definitive answer at all i just i every time i see a star wars movie i'm like wow y'all are really opening up a can of worms here you know there's a kind of i don't know does, am i the only person who's am i overthinking it should i just i, I was able to accept this when star wars was like flash gordon actiony funny kind of droids thing but like the essence of what the rebellion is and what they're doing in rogue one is at the very heart of the entire storyline plot character development who is good who is bad it's a these huge moral questions get raised where essentially terrorists are glorified but they're fighting for their freedom. But I don't even know how to finish that sentence, y'all. But like that's that to me is always every time I see this movie, I'm like, wow, this is great. It's really coming from an awkward place. Now you opened a can of worms that I did not expect. And you kind of blew my mind away with this question. Because now I'm really thinking about it. And it's all a bit <laughs> and it's going to sound, this may be a bad, bad way to start. It's based on the perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You're looking through the Empire because, you know, if you go back to the, the prequels, the Empire's the terrorist. Capitalism's the terrorist. If we will Americanize this. Right, Capital right. Terrorist. Or, you know, democracy's the terrorist. I mean, if, if you look at it, like, if we're, oh, man, I, there right. are so many that I could talk to here. Like, if you're looking at the British Empire versus the colonists, if you will, the colonists did a lot of shit to get their freedom. But the British Empire did a lot of shit to, you know, not allow that to happen. So it's like, I guess that's how you look at Star Wars. You know, what's, what's 
what's the worst that happens for the greater good and whose greater good are you supporting? You know? So like war is an ugly topic. And I think star Wars is a good way of like, whether or not people like me that are just in it for, you know, shits and giggles and it's fun, but people, uh, you know, you sitting here (laughs) bringing up a whole different level that I never thought about. And now I'm thinking of star Wars in a whole different way with more like, Oh damn, this is, this is really intense. So I, mm, I, I don't have a lot of answers because I'm really thrown off by this. I'm so sorry. (laughs) What are good is better. And I think, I mean, I'm obviously a supporter of the rebel Alliance because there's more, you know, freedom involved for the people to have their own, way of life without being controlled by this international globe of I don't know. I don't I don't want to be a puppet. So like I think that's why when people watch Star Wars, they don't want to be a puppet. So they're willing to take any chance and any risk to prevent that. And um if if you're looking at the Empire sense, you know, the Rebel Alliance is doing a lot of bad to prevent that. But what's i don't know it's what's for the greater good of the people and maybe <clears throat> the terrorists <clears throat> on this side of things are okay maybe maybe i'm really sorry i didn't mean to put anyone in a in a hard in a hard spot like at all it's and it's not to say that i don't i don't have a definitive answer i really don't and like you said like i don't want to be a part of the empire i mean they are cloning people against like they're cloning people and then putting them into military service and then later on they're abducting children from the arms of their parents and forcing them to become essentially child soldiers like i'm not saying in any way that the empire is good but of course like you said it's a matter of perspective that's how they're painted and that was fine for me with the original Star Wars, right? That I was totally on board. But here they're bringing a lot more nuance. And I, 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 it's not a criticism of the movie. It's a criticism of how the movie makes me feel. Like every time I get out of it, I'm like, you're opening, you've opened up so many questions in my mind, Rogue One. And I don't have an answer to because I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a one person. I'm not like a philosopher. Like I can't. I so that's that's what Rogue One always makes me feel like I, I I come out not deeply conflicted but extremely pensive. If that makes any sense, it's it's really like the it's one of the few movies where I I watch the credits not for any secret scene but because I'm still kind of sitting with so much information that I just kind of need a minute to like regroup. So Kelly, let me put you on the spot with my insane question. (laughs) I feel like that's because inherently you are not a fantasy consumer of media. You are a science fiction consumer of media and science fiction at its core deals with heavy topics like that. And whether you want to admit it or not, fantasy is escapism, generally speaking. It, right. There can be nuance to fantasy. There's a lot of fantasy film that handles really heavy topics. But to dumb it down, fantasy is escapism and science fiction is a reflection of the real world. And Star Wars 
is space fantasy. So I think a lot of people just consume it for entertainment and don't think about, you know, the ramifications politically or the heavy themes. But because you consume science fiction first and foremost, I think it makes sense that that's so prevalent on your mind. It's so incredible to me that you were able to, like, dissect how, like, how this happened to me. And also in like the nicest possible way, tell me that I'm like fucking overthinking it <laughs> and that I should just like enjoy the fucking movie, Mariko. <laughs> I guess for me, what I'll say is war doesn't have winners. Yeah, Even yeah. the side that wins doesn't win. So there is no good guy. There's just the better guy. And <laughs> everyone has shades of gray so that's something to bear in mind and i guess the other thing that comes to mind is following the law is not always the right thing to do for example you know everyone who <laughs> got this is such a dark place we're going thanks yeah, marika yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for example world war ii guess what people who helped jewish people flee germany broke the law we highly regard that as the correct thing for them to have done. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a matter of perspective. It's just a matter of perspective. And I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, it's one of the downers for me, like I said, with this movie, but it's also one of the highlights because I don't think I ever came out of a Star Wars experience before that, like pondering larger questions because before that it was like good evil there's no in between right there's no purple lightsaber for a while if you know what i mean like it's 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 good versus evil black and white right versus wrong and the fact that this film was able to bring that kind of nuance to that and at least help me to explore different themes i think says a lot for this franchise that they're willing to go there I, I will touch on one slight point that Kelly brought up. Science fiction does delve into really heavy content a lot. And I'm both lover of science fiction and fantasy. Like those, if I'm reading a book, it's either science fiction or fantasy if it's not classical literature. But if we're talking about George Lucas, early George Lucas, before he became the money maker that he was, his first film, TH-1138, deals with heavy context you know it's about restricting procreation and feeding people medicine so that they don't have any drive to perform naturally and and to want to procreate and, and create beings but then you have these two people who are being tortured who stop taking their medicine who start procreating and are literally killed and, and tortured to do what is natural to them. And so I think, you know, George Lucas, early George Lucas, maybe even if you look at this space opera uh, called Star Wars, his early interaction with it be before he maybe even knew it was going to be making money. I mean, even if you look, if you read, um, it, like if you watch an interview with Alan Guinness, they didn't know it was going to blow up. It was taught. It was like thought as a joke. Alan Guinness is like, "Oh, this is whatever," and and George Lucas is like, "Well, if we make toys, I'll give you a percentage of that." And and you know, they didn't know it was going to be successful. It was just like a passion project. I think maybe 
maybe there's some hope in me that George Lucas, maybe when he was writing the Star Wars and filmed them originally, was maybe allowing us to think of this perspective of good and evil, right and wrong, uh, rebels being a, a sort of terrorist, but also the, um, you know, a, a, not alliance, um, empire being like this sort of terrorist as well. But it, it, again, as Kelly mentioned, there's no good or evil really in war. No, absolutely. And and trying to analyze George Lucas's mind is is <laughs> pretty, pretty um, interesting task. But yeah, I think that I mean, he was greatly, greatly influenced by the works of Joseph Campbell on, you know, the shared uh, myths of our species throughout time. He was definitely influenced, as we all know, by the war films of Akira Kurosawa, Seven Samurai, Hidden Fortress, I I think he hoped to bring more nuance later on. And we definitely see that with the prequels where there is a little bit more nuance given to the characters, a little bit more space for everyone to breathe. And I think you're right. In the first movie, it was kind of like get as much as we can out there. And we don't have time for that like level of detail. And Rogue One just took that concept that, that, that slow growing character development and just like went to the extreme with it. And I'm just happy that like, as fans, we were all here for it and that they executed it well, because what an unmitigated disaster that could have been bringing gravitas to star Wars could have been an, a dumpster fire of a mess. So how'd you pair this <laughs> on a lighter note? <laughs> um, so as I said, like when I was drinking tea, um, I chose the Alter Ego to re-re-re-re-watch it um, because it's a Star Wars-themed tea, or at least the rapper is. And typically when I drink tea and I'm, I'm going to sit and watch a movie seriously and have, you know, and especially since it's a Star Wars film and it's usually over two hours, I need something that's going to last a while. So I'm going to gung-fu brew some tea and I'm going to watch this movie because I'm I'm it's a part of my practice. Gun filming is part of my practice while watching a film and thinking of it critically, maybe not as critically as some, but, but critically, <laughs> but to <laughs> the sheer enjoyment of watching this film, you know, and being emotionally moved by it. Every time I watch it, no matter how many times I watch it, I end with maybe a little tear in my eye because it does emotionally pull me in and I get attached to these characters. And so gung fu is like an emotional escape for me. So when I'm drinking tea this way, I'm thinking about the tea, I'm processing the tea, and that's the same as watching a film that I love. I'm sitting thinking about the film, allowing it to emotionally pull me. So it's, it's kind of like meditative practice on both ends, you know, doing something that I love. And so it connects me to the film and to the tea and sometimes even I love that tea more because it reminds me of a film or I love the film more because it reminds me of a tea. Mm. So that's why I chose this tea. I didn't know I was going to love the tea as much because, I mean, I love everything from Bitterleaf, but I didn't realize that it was going to be such like an emotional pull literally from the film stance as well as the tea stance. So that's why I paired, why I paired together. That's lovely. That that sounds like a perfect pairing, honestly. Like, I think you touched on a lot of different elements, but what I think I like the most was the ritualization and the, the emotionality. Like, you know, you allowed the tea to go through that kind of 
I don't want to say maturation, but like to develop along with the movie as you were watching it. And I really like that's that's um, a lot more care than I put into my pairing. But uh, before we do that, Kelly, <laughs> what did you pair this with? I just have to say, I'm so glad we have Steven to carry the weight <laughs> on our pairings this <laughs> episode. <laughs> Thank God someone <laughs> was like, let me really think about it. Right, right. Because when I did my rewatch, uh, it was a couple months ago um, during our weird little blip of a hiatus. And as we touched on a couple weeks ago uh, in our Carnage episode, one of the causes for that hiatus was that we both got promoted. And that was a busy time. A um, lot of late hours, a lot of learning new skills very rapidly on top of what we were already doing. So all that to say, I watched it at like 7 p.m. after I had come home from the office. I uh, was very tired and I made a big plate of nachos and a large cold brew of David's Tea's uh, mango fruit punch, which... <laughs> doesn't pair with Star Wars at all, but pairs really well with nachos. <laughs> and a nice Rogue One nacho night. The argument can be made that with Star Wars, almost more than any other fandom, I'll say it, um, you know, Star Wars changed the nature of the movie watching experience. You know, Jaws started it with that kind of mania and you got to see this movie is what everyone's talking about. Star Wars kind of justified the entirety of the canvas of that screen, right? You wanted to see like every single image there. So pairing Star Wars with that kind of movie going experience, I mean, nachos are debatable, but I've had nachos in the theater um, and like a mango fruit punch. It makes sense to me because I think if I had gone to Star Wars for the first time in 1977, I probably would have done it with like an orange crush soda and like a heavily buttered popcorn, right? That is that is part of the history of Star Wars is that kind of fun flavor and then you experience something else. So while this is probably the worst pairing you've ever made technically. <laughs> I think it is. I'm really, I'm really trying to go back in my mind. I'm like, no, no, this is, uh, yep. That, it sounds like something I would do, Kelly. Let's put it that way. It sounds like something I'd be like, hey, I just did this thing, but it does sound really delicious. Honestly, it sounds like a fun and bright experience, which is contrary to what this movie is. Yeah, going out with a bang for our season finale, really, really uh, hitting those pairings. Top notch. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> okay. So here's the problem, you guys. All right. So I uh, typically have a really bad memory and Kelly can attest to this where I just, my brain decides to just delete information so i know based on the outline that i sent you both that i drank brutality's tart of ruin um it's a tea that i really like i think we all know i have a crush on brutalities at this point but it's got a like a kind of uh, raspberry flavoring that really is hitting my personal palate really really well uh could not for the life of me tell you why I decided on that pairing. I think at the time I knew what I was doing 
because it's a tea that I know and it's a movie that I know, but this is like five or six months ago. And I looked at the outline last night and I was like, why did I drink this tea? <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. The information is gone. Uh, so I guess that says something about the pairing. I do remember that I didn't drink the whole thing because I was kind of too busy crying. I do remember that. I remember being surprised at how much was left in my mug by the end of the movie. And it kind of like um, when we did uh, Logan on this podcast, I kind of forgot about the tea because I was too busy getting really emotional or getting really excited. And then like had to be like, oh, right, I'm drinking tea because Rogue One is one of those movies where I will occasionally just stand up. I have, I, I get really excited or I get really invested. And I just like stand up and I forget that I'm drinking the tea. So that's how I paired it. Was it successful? Probably. Your guess is as good as mine. I have <laughs> no idea. I wonder if you picked it because of the name less so than the flavor. Because it feels like the name really fits the mid-movie mood, you know? Sure. I mean, it's, it's as good an explanation. That's, I, it's, not, it's not ringing any bells when you say it, which is why I'm not, like, acknowledging nor dismissing it. I'm just like, yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't remember. I remember giving it a lot of thought, too, which is really upsetting that I don't know why. But um, I drank it hot probably drink it iced maybe next time but yeah it, it 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 was what it was any final thoughts on anyone's behalf before we end this most delightful time that we've spent together i mean i guess you know there's the restock re-steep it's a movie so i guess in this case i mean i want to answer for all of us but i don't want to like put my voice in everyone else's mouth but i feel like we're all going to rewatch it right yes yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, obviously. So obviously that I forgot that that's something that we do. We do like restock, re-steep. Because I'm like, I'm obviously going to re-steep Star Wars. And I have since this movie has come out, good or bad. Maybe not all of them. But, you know, Mandalorian, uh, you know, Boba Fett. All of it. I've been, you know, Obi-Wan. Uh, Rogue One is just... It's going to happen again. My husband was kind of upset when I told him, I said, oh, I, you know, I, I watched it and prepared the Geek Steep episode, but it was six months ago. I may have to watch it again. He's like, put it on, put it on. It's like in the middle of our work day. And I was like, no, I'm not going to put it on during work. <laughs> He's like, why not? And I'm like, because I'm working. But I, yeah, I'm obviously going to re-steep this movie. It's brilliant. It's emotional. It's well done. Has anyone watched Andor? Like, Steve, have you watched Andor? Um, so I am what I call a binger. I don't watch episodes as they come out. I wait till they're all out and then I binge watch it in like a sitting or two. So yeah, that's how I am. I, it didn't work well when I tried that with Game of Thrones. It was too long. But um, yeah, I, I, I like to binge watch series because that's just how I am. So you're now that it's over, you can safely start your binge without... Absolutely. That's what I do with... <laughs> All my friends are like, oh, this happens. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I know I read the book, but don't don't tell me about the series. And side note, oh, the ending. Have you watched Kenobi? Obi-Wan Kenobi, both of you? Yes, I have. Yeah. That scene with Darth Anakin, we'll call it Anakin because he's kind of Anakin, Darth Vader, and Obi-Wan. That made me cry. It was like, oh, God, Anakin killed, I mean, Darth Vader killed Anakin he killed himself it wasn't obi-wan and you realize how shitty obi-wan probably felt after that 
Anyway, <laughs> that's my side note on the Obi Wan. There is a YouTube video if you ever have the chance where Obi Wan's telling Luke that he knew his father and that his father died, and it goes to like a flashback while Alec Guinness is talking, and it shows like the final battle between obi-wan and anakin and it talks about you are my brother anakin while alec guinness alec guinness is talking and you're just like oh oh god (laughs) you know it's so so sad just you have to look it up i will sorry i just i thought of um that scene where obi-wan i we're talking about obi-wan now but in um revenge of the sith where obi-wan and anakin are fighting and Obi-Wan gets the high ground is a kind of interesting password that my husband and I have now adopted when we're arguing about something. And Uh we know that there's no real resolution. And one of us will just look at the other and say, don't do it, Anakin. I have the high ground. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we all have different associations with that scene, because for me, it's the stupid meme about Anakin and Darth Vader hating sand and just having a <laughs> massive resentment towards sand. Oh my gosh. It definitely speaks to how Star Wars has touched us in like so many different ways for so many different reasons, be it, you know, just growing up with it or the emotionality attached or just the sheer epic nature of it and how many things about it we love. It's just... um it's one of the great, great fandoms of the 20th and 21st centuries. I firmly believe that it's going to, I, I maybe this may be stretching it, but it does feel like it's entered the pantheon of great stories that humanity has made and will survive all of us, obviously. But I, I in the same way that we know about I am comparing it to Beowulf. I'll say it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those that like, this is going to stick around. This has legs. This has legs. It's had legs for a very long time. And it speaks to so many different cultures and people and times and places. It's, uh, it's immortal. It's immortal. So uh, I'm going to close it out. Even though saying Star Wars is immortal is probably the best closer I've ever given. Steve, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on this ride. I'm so sorry that I I, I overthought too much and, <laughs> and brought in weird elements for no reason. Um, but if anybody wants to follow you or any, where do we find the Mad Hatter Tea Review? So uh, I recently changed my name. I apologize for that. It's the Matter Hatter Tea Review. Oh. Um, the reason I did that is um, I if anybody knows just another tea blog he's a he's a a blogger but he also does tea raps so he produced a tea rap album um once upon a time i responded to his first release by jokingly sending him a private message of me rapping it was a very bad rap he loved it so much that he started like pushing me to do more um eventually whenever i'm not being lazy i will throw one out there i have a complete set of raps that are completed so the matter hatter is going to be a a team rapper eventually live to everybody um you can find me on youtube under the matter hatter t review um 
I do a lot of reviews on blended teas, mostly tea halls, local tea shops support. Um, <clears throat> a lot of David tea review, David's tea reviews. As I said earlier, I love David's tea. I'm not like trying to kiss butt here, but I do. No, we and we. It should be said that like we didn't like pay you to say that, right? Like, no, we're not... <laughs> no, nobody paid me to say this. <laughs> I just genuinely like the variety of tea blends um that are offered and shout out to the cinnamon oolong that i will be drinking after this podcast such <laughs> a good cup that is such a good cup yeah oh awesome uh that's great kelly do you have anything to uh wrap up with i mean yes. just thank you to all our listeners for season two it was a long one. I know at times Marika and I both felt like we maybe bit off a bit more than we can chew. We introduced uh, fewer fandom selections this season, and I can confidently say we're going to continue that in some capacity for season three. So if there are fandoms you've been dying for us to cover, please, please let us know. Um, we are heavily in the planning phase for our third season right now, which probably will be a little bit shorter, but you won't have to wait as long for it. We promise. Uh, this is not the last you'll hear of us, though, in 2022. Even though this is our finale for our proper fandom episodes, we still have our yearly recaps. So join us next week for our top fandoms. And then after that, you can join us for our top very much looking forward to it steve thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me again and kelly always a delight i mean what else is there to say other than may the force be with you and also with you happy sipping <laughs> happy sipping everyone have a great week bye bye